from Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, kind of some positive news as we look at specific company earnings like Tesla doing really well as we look at PCE inflation going down. U.S. GDP grew this week for the, um, rather than going down, which is what we kind of anticipate when we're entering into a recession. So things are kind of turning around as we enter into the biggest week of the year. That is when Jerome Powell and the Fed squad decide exactly how much they're going to be raising rates at next week's FOMC meeting. To help me understand if maybe we got kind of a positive angle here, as always, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, I mean, is it are we are we entering optimism season is this are we starting off a bull run right here or am i getting a little bit ahead of myself with that it's it's a good question and it's a very interesting time right now because on one hand of the the kind of the overall coin if you will uh we have the markets rallying really hard to start the year a lot of stocks are up 10 20 30 percent uh inflation looks to be peaking um, and we're starting to potentially see the other side of things. And so we're starting to see some optimism pour into the markets. People are talking about a recession, you know, whether it be some sort of landing that is not that hard, you know, general sentiment in the market is pretty strong right now. So I, yeah, I think that that definitely points to some sort of recovery. Um, however, uh, I would say do not put all your eggs in one basket yet. We are definitely not on the other side of this thing definitively. There's still a lot of like other macro factors that we need to be aware of. You know, food and energy prices are still super volatile. Uh, while people are starting to lose their jobs, even though the unemployment rate is low, you know, a war in Russia or like some sort of like escalated threat in Russia or China could change everything. So long story short, we I'm excited to kind of dive into the specifics. But while things are good and they're definitely improving, we are definitely not out of the clear yet. And that's the most important thing. Like There have been many bull traps through many downturns. So this is one of those things where it's always going to be better to be late to the full recovery as opposed to being too early to what ultimately ends up being a, a bull trap in the midst of a bear market. So it's exciting, but let's go ahead and start diving into these things granularly. Um, we kind of have it already pretty well covered. Like The main things that are driving PC inflation down are you know um, various aspects of supply chains, whereas food and energy remain super volatile. So we are one bad quarter away from getting right back on the inflation train. So Justin, let's let's kind of turn this around and start looking at individual companies again, because what we're going to really do with throughout this earnings season, both this week and next week, we're going to start really separating the wheat from the chaff in terms of companies who can weather a fully sort of like recessionary environment. We've seen a bunch of big tech layoffs, right? We've seen a bunch of earnings get absolutely tanked. Like we're just watching Intel numbers come in right now and they are brutal. I do not want to be a chip maker right now, despite the fact that it's going to be the most important part of our economy for the next 10 years. But let's just go ahead and look at Tesla. That's kind of our bread and butter. Um, Tesla always kind of occupies a contrarian space in the economy, and they managed to absolutely nuke earnings um, earlier this week, and the stock is positively rallying. Is this people just kind of like drinking hopium a little bit too much, or is this an actual sign that Tesla's business model is accelerating again? Are we seeing those margins keep uh, pushed too? Yeah, so Tesla is the, we've said this for a while now, and this is why we love Tesla. They're the only profitable EV maker when you start factoring out the tax credits that a lot of these other companies are getting. Their margins are higher than everyone else. Like they're, the way they're able to produce vehicles at scale, demand they get at the margins they can ultimately execute on is extremely impressive. Like it's 
leaps and bounds better than everyone else. Like they're years ahead of their competition. And if there's any supply chain shortages or issues with the EV market that we'll likely see in 2023, although it will be a headwind to Tesla, it ultimately just creates a bigger gap now between them and the rest of their competition. So uh, while we do expect a slowdown in the EV market, Tesla's earnings this week kind of says the complete opposite. Um, ultimately, demand is at its all-time high. The price cuts, yes, it's going to eat into their margins, but they still have higher margins than everyone else. So they're, that's how they're able to kind of counteract the slowdown in demand is by lowering prices. So, I mean, long story short, Tesla, again, continues to be a prime example of why you should not be shorting um, you know, Elon Musk's companies, Twitter aside, which is now a private company. So I can say that. Um, but yeah, Tesla is continuing to crush. They've continued to be a huge overweight position for us. Um, I think fears are that things will get worse. And that's why the name is down huge over the last few months, factor in all the issues with their supply chain. Um, but again, over the long run, which is how we invest here at Moby, we continue to love Tesla. They have shown that they um, can scale uh, and ultimately build these these vehicles better than anyone else can. So, if you're questioning, does is Elon distracted? I mean, he 100% is. He's clearly busy with Twitter. But once that kind of goes away, he'll be able to focus more of his time again on Tesla. And again, if you're betting on the future of EV, there's no better company you can look at besides Tesla. And that's the most important thing too. It's not about like, oh, people are going to keep buying electric cars for environmental reasons. It's because we've said this a lot before, but just to reiterate, the EV supply chain is far simpler. Yes, it is more expensive. The actual materials that you need for EVs are much more expensive than what you need for like traditional vehicles, but also the supply chain for a traditional um, gas powered vehicle is just so much more complex and therefore so much more expensive to make. So the main thing that we want to look at when we're looking at this Tesla earnings uh, report is the simple fact that Tesla margins per vehicle came in at the lowest they ever have. And this is because a the price cut, some price cuts did happen in December. We're not going to see the broad effect of the price cuts until the next earnings call come like March, April or whenever. But just in looking at that Tesla uh, profitability, that margin hit 25% for the first time, which is First of all, insane for an automaker, period, end of sentence. But the main question is, is that going to become a trend line as price cuts hit, as materials become more expensive? Is there a number at which you start becoming concerned about like the bull thesis we have for Tesla when it comes to their margins? I mean, listen, in the short term, lithium, cobalt, a lot of the materials that Tesla needs to build their batteries are at risk of being disrupted at any point. And if they're not disrupted, are at risk of like price gouging and, and things increasing like crazy. So... If you're looking at the pure environmental impact of a Tesla over the long run, it is better than a traditional combustion-based engine, but it's still really bad for the environment. You're still ripping raw materials out of the ground. Um, the, to make a, an actual battery is, is highly intensive or taxing on the environment. And so, yeah, the, it all goes back to their margins and producing them in a cost-efficient way, uh, which is kind of net benefiting society, which is half their, their pitch overall outside of just a better car. So, I mean, long story short, yes, it's something to be very aware of and is a real threat to the business. However, having said that, they should be able to mitigate that better than others. They're, again, continuing to verticalize their supply chain, which means that they're bringing more and more of how they build their cars back on shore. And so any issues with materials, any issues with labor will continue to be mitigated more than other uh, other 
manufacturers of these types of cars. So it's always a risk, but at the end of the day, people are going to be buying cars. They need to buy cars to get around. Um, it's just, it's the reality of the situation. And if Tesla is able to produce these cheaper, even if their margins are compressing in some capacity, the demand for them is going to continue to go up as people buy cars. And when the economy rebounds and we see just overall stronger consumer-based demand, uh, more savings build back up in the economy, again, Tesla is going to be there to capture it. So over the long run, continue to love the name. Yes, definitely something to be fearful of with the compressing margins in the short term. And it's one of those things that it only really becomes an issue if it becomes a trend as opposed to like it achieves equilibrium at 25%. It's one of those things where making 25% of your money back on a vehicle purchase is just absolutely wild that Tesla is able to pull this off. It's, you know, most people don't even escape the single digits. Like cars are a very, very margin compressed business and that's the main thing tesla has done that's the main thing driving tesla's absolutely wild valuation although now tesla's trading at what 40x which is way better than it was trading at 100 this time last year so all the, becoming all the more attractive as just like a buy it and see where it goes kind of here because once bull sentiment comes back in you can probably see capital flows pushing it well beyond you know the 50s and 60s before it even becomes considerably overvalued but anyway so let's get more into sort of like the the bigger trends too we're still trying to figure out exactly how the market is going to move here in 2023 as things you know generally kind of look more positive we can talk about inflation more granularly but the all the positive signs are there gdp is still growing even more so than people thought so let's get into you know individual companies and see how they're going to keep surviving through um the next couple of months. So the main thing coming out of this right now is the second antitrust lawsuit that just hit Google, Justin. So during the Trump administration, Google got hit for its search dominance. Um, that uh, entire process is only going to trial now, probably in September of this year. And this week, Google got hit with another antitrust lawsuit from the federal government with several states jumping on as well over their ads business, which is kind of the golden goose, right? If they manage to break up Google's sort of ads empire, that's a huge, huge hit. I mean, it should create a lot of, you know, uh, shareholder value as that gets broken up, but it sort of like breaks down the whole big tech ethos. Um, is there a lot of concern here with that kind of antitrust or is there, you know, more to look at? Maybe the the um, FTC is finally going to have some teeth again and the federal government is going to start going after even more of these bigger sort of tech companies. I know I just gave you like 15 questions in one, but let's sort of like unpack that a little bit. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, like Google is an actual monopoly. We've talked about this kind of at length before. It's it's interesting because on one hand, like I said, Google's monopoly. They can completely control the industry. They're buying up people left and right. If you are in the ad tech ecosystem or you're a brand advertiser, want to advertise somewhere, you don't really have another better choice right now. Um, because anytime someone gets big enough, Google just buys them out and then you're just stuck with their terms. So it's, they are like an actual competitor or an, sorry, an actual monopoly. You do have other tools coming around like chat GPT, uh, that is kind of like Google on steroids, if you will, that now is being purchased by, uh, or largely financed by Microsoft and which their competitor is Bing. I mean, long story short, like, you know, if that disrupts it, who it's hard to say they have zero dollars in revenue right now. And Google's a multi, you know, billion dollar industry. Maybe they eat market share over time, but it's going to be a long road before they ramp up as quickly as they claim they can. So, you know, it's all goes to say that, you know, Google is really like a complete monopoly and it's not really fair to a lot of advertisers. So they need to do something about it. Having said all of that, the DOJ and, you know, the people in the government who are trying to break this up, you know, maybe they're successful at some point, but I don't think we're looking at like a John Rockefeller, you know, standard oil type situation where the, the entire company gets dismantled into 
separate pieces, then it has to, you know, figure out a way to kind of scra scrabble from there. Um, Google is like the core infrastructure of like the internet today. If you want to break it up, it's it's not going to be like that. They also spend, you know, millions and millions on lobbying every year. They have strong political relationships. I think, unfortunately, this is a little bit of just kind of like, you know, uh, just like a little bit of TV and, and entertain, entertainment for people at home don't anticipate really much to come of it. I'm not sure what, what your thoughts are. So, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, you're, you're, you're kind of classic, um, very, very kind of pro Teddy Roosevelt type analyst when it comes to this. I want to create as much shareholder value as possible. And every time you break up a, a monopoly, you get a lot of shareholder value for everyone who's not like currently employed by said monopoly, right? So, you know, net net, it's always better to break up monopolies, but I have no idea how you would break up Google. I think one thing that would be amazing is if they just pre pre um just before everything went down, they just went ahead and spun YouTube because then you'd have the number one and number two search engines in the world be kind of part of the same ecosystem and there could be actual competition there and YouTube could, you know, find new ways to use how much search traffic they have as TikTok keeps creeping up on them. Like TikTok is slowly but surely becoming the actual threat to that style of search engine, not ChatGPT. ChatGPT is so expensive to maintain that they can never realistically compete with Google. That's the kind of the major analyst view. Like ChatGPT is going to be huge moving forward, but not in a lot of the ways people are thinking. There's going to yeah, be... Yeah, totally. Yeah. So like Google, it's a pretty cool stat. Like Google, every Google search, the amount of power it takes to power a Google search keeps a light bulb on for every two to three minutes. And ChatGPT, to your point with the unit economics, is like 20x that. Like the amount of power you need to run that and ultimately be able to monetize that at scale or like profitably is it's going to be a lot harder than like the headlines are suggesting. 200x. I mean, like you could like for one chat GPT query, you could power a house for like three hours, like a whole standard American house. It is honestly insane the amount of like computational energy and therefore cost that goes into it. I mean, OpenAI is just burning millions of dollars a day just to, you know, maintain the insane growth they've had and sort of the main, the major popularity they've had and the absolutely insane figures like them saying, yeah, well, we'll have a, we'll have a pro feature that charges 40 bucks a month, not even close to the economics making sense. Again, amazing tool, really excited to see how the AI industry develops. But right now, like people saying that Google is over really, I mean, first of all, Google has its own language models that could compete with and slash or be better than ChatGPT right now. But they're obviously keeping Lambda. It's called Lambda, I think, close to the chest. So really interesting to see all that. But again, the major threat to the Google to Google right now is more the DOJ than um, actual AI. So really excited to see what happens. But it's, I mean, you're, you're watching CNET have to backpedal like 15 articles due to insane factual inaccuracies as companies try to use AI to write articles. We've been through this before. Justin and I, you kind of came out of the, the 2010s tech zone where it was the um, content mill era where you would find the cheapest writers on the planet and just shove as many articles into the internet as possible and try to arbitrage them into ads dollars. We've been through this before. It didn't work. AI is not going to work here either. So that's not the threat to Google. Uh, I would love if YouTube became a threat to Google, though. I think that's really interesting. I think having an actual competition between these two as opposed to them being in the same ads ecosystem is uh, a way to create shareholder value and also a way to really make YouTube a brilliant product. I think being stuck in the Google wheelhouse is keeping YouTube from being the social network that it actually could be. Anyway, I could wax poetic on this for days, but that's, that's what we're looking at right now is just making sure that we're finding those ways that we create shareholder value. So Justin, as we get to kind of the back half here though, just making sure we kind of understand what's going on. Obviously, We've talked a lot about inflation, but the main thing is 
the main event next week, January 31st, February 1st, FOMC meeting, Big Daddy Jay Powell steps into the plate for maybe the biggest Fed announcement of all time. I know we're not realistically anticipating an actual Fed pivot, but how do you see um, rates raises going now that we're in a more positive place in the economy? I just want to preface this with for people who are our regular listeners, I apologize that it's seemingly all we talk about is He Jay is Powell. our God. We it's the only <laughs> thing we're allowed to talk about. He is my dad. I have to keep talking about him. <laughs> I know. It's just uh you sound like a broken record at times, and that's probably a lot of what you see on CNBC and whoever else you're getting your financial information from. And it sucks, but ultimately everything they do changes the economy and the markets. If the last 20 years have taught us do not fight the fed if they're rising rates decreasing rates the markets respond accordingly and very quick aside why that happens in case you're curious is every the world literally runs on debt companies take out massive lines of credit to finance their operations in the hopes that that can keep their short-term cash needs sufficed and happy and then the returns they'll generate on top of that debt are in excess of the debt they're taking out and they get to pocket the difference. It's more or less how we continue to grow the economy as rapidly as we can. Interest rates have been decreasing, you know, without taking out the last, you know, year more or less of increases, but interest rates have been steadily decreasing more or less for the last 20 to 30 years. And so people have been taking out more debt, companies have been taking out more debt um because it's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and that's why they're able to grow faster and faster and faster and so anytime the fed threatens to raise rates or actually raises rates then the cost of capital becomes more expensive and so companies start looking hey can this debt actually get the roi we need are our margins compressed there's a lot of questions they start asking themselves and people as well like if you even look at interest rates and where home prices go you know as mortgages become more expensive via rates, it's the same thing. So that's why the Fed has been so instrumental in like changing how the economy and the markets work. And that's why we talk about it all the time. Um, because ultimately, if they raise rates, companies can't grow as fast. And if companies can't grow as fast, the stock market crashes. So it sucks that it's all like a lot of what we talk about, but ultimately it does dictate how the economy and how the market works. So with that out of the way, to your original question and the point around what happens at this next Fed meeting, does he pivot? I think a lot of what we'll see so far is going to be more of the same. The, the number one thing to watch out of the Fed is not necessarily what they do, although obviously what they do is important, but it's what they say. So they want to always be mirroring or like leading us on to show exactly what they'll say at the next meeting at subsequent meetings. They don't want to pivot. They want to make it very clear. So the last meeting when they came out and made their announcement that they were raising at a certain rate, no one was surprised, but what everyone was watching for is what they're going to do next. So at this meeting, I don't anticipate that there'll be any sort of pivot. Again, the Fed likes to really show their cards in that sense. What we need to be watching for is not what they do, but what they say. What is the next meeting gonna look like? What is the meeting after that look like? They've said multiple times that they don't anticipate lowering rates in 2023. But if we can get a good indication of when they'll stop increasing, that will be more fuel to the fire. So if they come out and say, hey, we're raising, you know, 0.25%, we're going to do it once more, and then likely we're going to stop and keep that at those levels, the markets are going to freak out and rally. If they come out and then say the opposite, you know, inflation isn't coming down the way we want, we're going to keep raising indefinitely, hoping to like pause around the summertime, 
you know, it's going to be probably a little bit of a hindrance. So I think as investors, as we're watching this before we can give you our live reaction, just be watching for what's coming next. What are they signaling? Um, our best guess based on what we've seen so far is we probably have one, a few more increases until we start peaking. I would say, you know, by spring, summertime, we're definitely at peak interest rates. And then it really depends on how the economy, how resilient it is from there. Right now, it's obviously been pretty strong, but at peak interest rates, how long can that sustainability last? So we're starting to see more and more cracks. We're starting to see certain food prices go up. We're seeing layoffs. But again, it's how long can the economy last like that before there is potentially a complete collapse? If it can last in perpetuity and inflation stays subdued, then we're going to be in a really good place. If the economy starts crashing very quickly and we start getting in this massive recession, obviously it's going to really suck for the short term. But that'll, if anything, incentivize the Fed to lower rates quicker in order to help out the the economy. Um, and it's all part of this cooling off and heating up cycle that's completely normal, but has been really exacerbated over the last few years due to the pandemic. And we're still feeling the effects of it today. And frankly, we'll start we'll continue to feel the effects of it forever. Um, companies bringing back all their operations on shore, the way they like run their supply chains, this and globalization, bringing th the whole like idea of onshoring. This is all is due to COVID and like realizing how fragile it is. So. This is just, again, unfortunately, with the Fed, more pand post-pandemic issues and that we'll be fighting with for, for a very, very long time. It's like that Faulkner quote, the past is never finished. It isn't even past. Like we're going to be dealing with the reverberations of 2020 for years to come, the reverberations of 2008 even, as we watch people sort of cling to higher growth, higher profit profitability. That's the major thing we're going to be watching moving forward to seeing recognizing the fact that analysts and the market itself is made up out of people and watching how that sentiment drives capital flow. So the big concern we have, again, I've been doing a lot of work thinking about the Microsoft's earnings and seeing is the market still buying cloud as much as it used to? Because in 2010, all you had to do was just buy Microsoft and Amazon stock as AWS and Azure started rising and you were golden. Like you just kept rising off of those ridiculous margins. But are, if those margins aren't maintained, will the market still give Microsoft and Amazon the valuations they have been given that profitability? We were very lucky last year that we jumped onto the pharma train right as capital flows entered pharma to left tech and entered pharma, but we don't necessarily anticipate pharma having another insane year the way it did last year. So there's going to be some winners and some losers, but that's the main thing we're watching this year. No matter what, even if Jerome Powell says, all rights raises are done, I'm turning on the money cannon again. Blah, like there's still going to be people who are affected by the last six months of pain. And that's the most important thing to keep in mind that all of the effects you see from rates increases, they are six to nine months downstream of the actual rates increase because that's, you know, you take out a loan, they need to take out another loan afterwards. You're not getting the pain until a little bit later. So we're still very much within the pain window, even if the economy is looking like it's recovered. So keep that in mind. Like that's why you, you look at this and think of it more as a bear trap than anything else. And so I'm really excited to see that moving forward. Either way, Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at um, Moby.co, that brought us right up to time here. Any final thoughts from you before we go ahead and read the credits here? Otherwise, again, I'm just amazed we covered that much in such a little bit of time. No, I think that's, again, uh, the most of what we want to cover. Company-specific earnings is super important. Watching Microsoft, watching Tesla, watching Google. A lot of this stuff is super important. But again, everything is being led by the macro right now. And 
underneath that certain companies will handle it better. And that's when we start getting into the nuances of the actual investment thesis, which I think is too much to cover for in a 30 minute podcast episode. If, if you want to see more, definitely head to the, the site at Moby.co um, and head out, see more of our research at Moby.co slash blog. But I think during this time, understanding the macro will really prepare us to understand to how to position ourselves over the, the short term, medium term and long term. Keep watching for those key inflation measures. Keep watching for what the Fed does and keep seeing how companies are responding. Um, general theme is things aren't as bad as we thought it would be, but can that persist? Can it last? Um, those are the key themes to be watching for in the first half of this year. Exactly. And I think it's a really good place to end it too. So audience, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for us, you can always hit us up at hello at mobi.co or within this the actual Discord where this podcast is recorded as well. Um, at the same time, if you've uh, if you want to see more of what we're thinking about, you can hit up hello. You can hit up moby.co slash go to get more of our long-term perspective. If you're not a current moby.co member, you can get a free trial and see what we're all about. In the same breath as well, check us out on TikTok and Instagram. We're finally, you know, catching a lot of momentum there as we begin to understand how to work those algorithms. And it's a great place to see our day-to-day thoughts as the market keeps moving in the ways it's moving because it's still a very day-to-day thing here. So check us out on TikTok, on Instagram as well. Otherwise, really appreciate your time. Just so you know, this podcast was produced, voiced, and hosted by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value of these podcasts comes from the Moby.co analyst team, headed up by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. We really appreciate your time, audience. That's a pretty solid place to end it, though. So as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.